Power Players. So we've been uh, in this series called Power Players for the last two weeks. And uh, five powerful pieces in a Christian life, in my life, in your life, that change the game. And, uh, you know, it's a game, chess is a game, you get that, but life is more than a game. Can you agree with that? Life is a war, right? The Christian life is a war. It's a glorious battle, praise the Lord. And we're in a glorious battle on a winning team. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're on a winning team. And uh, we have a king uh, who's coming back and is going to set all things right. But right now, we need help. And so these powerful pieces, uh, these power players, are what God is giving us to help us in this, um, in this battle, in this war, in this game we call life, if you want to say game. Now, the first week we talked about serving others, and serving others is a breakthrough, okay? You, you break through when you start to realize that serving others is a thing. And uh, then last week we talked about betrayal. And betrayal's tough, but sin is real, and it makes us do weird things. You get that? Sometimes we do things that we shouldn't do. And it, we get all twisted up. And, you know, the story of Judas, how, how amazingly twisted up Judas would have had to been to walk with the Lord for three years and turn his back on Jesus. And yet as good as God is to us, sometimes we just like, decide to do that sin that so easily besets us or we decide to not love or not forgive or not do that thing that we should we should do so I relate to both those things and I think you'll relate to the power player today before I even say that I just want to say thank you to Brent for preaching last week because I had to get to serve in kids ministry and it was awesome I was with the kindergarten and first graders and I don't know if you've ever uh, worked in our kids' ministry, but if you haven't had the opportunity to do that, you need to do it. Because it's, it's exhilarating, it's fun. You get to teach kids how to love Jesus, which is what we're learning to do right now. We're learning how to be apprentices, right, of Jesus Christ? Okay, I said right. So that's kind of like a question. We're learning to be apprentices of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, 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 that's what we're doing. And, and so are the kids, and uh, we want to teach them the things that God's teaching us every day as we read the Word. And so I was so grateful to be in there, and uh, I'm going to do it again next uh, month. I'm going to do it on the 16th. So if anybody wants to join me, come on, third week of the month, we're going to get after it. I'm teaching the lesson in fourth and fifth grade, and I can't wait for that. And we're, gonna, we're just going to get after it. So, hey, that's an opportunity. Don't pass that up, okay? Don't pass that up. Today, we're going to study the scriptures. Open your Bible to John 13. As stated two weeks ago, these are Jesus' last words. But we're getting even closer to the end. And so, you know, even though they say this is the upper room discourse, that's what I said to you last time, this now, in, in John 13, 31, this is the final discourse, right? It's like, I don't, death is hard. Death is hard. But I don't know if you've ever been near someone who's dying, but they have some things they want to say to you. 
And uh, it's kind of their farewell speech, their final words. Moses did it for the children of Israel and Joshua. You see it all through. And Jesus was doing that. It was a Jewish thing to do, to gather people around and say, this is it. And uh, this is his final discourse. This is his farewell message. These are the final words for his people. They're important. And as we're trying to grow and learn, we want to take these life lessons and take these, um, our own kind of walk with Christ to a whole new direction and level as we apprentice under Jesus. So here's the message, the power of love. The power of love. I'm not talking about sexual love, although that's fabulous inside the context of marriage pleasing one another for God's glory. I'm not talking about brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is named after that. There's three words for love. That's the second one in the New Testament. That's, I'll scratch your back, Andrew, and if I do enough good stuff for you, you'll scratch my back, right? So it's kind of like back to back, we'll just protect each other. But it's good for me if it's good for you, right? That's not the kind of love we're talking about. This is what we're talking about today. We're talking about a whole other level of love. It's called agape love. It's the highest and best level of love. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. Dare I say, and I'm going to say, it's supernatural. You cannot do this in yourself or in your flesh. Unconditional, sacrificial, supernatural love. If you want to learn more about that love, say read. All right, some of you guys do. I want to learn more about that, so I'm going to read. How about that? All right, let's go. Here it is. John chapter 13, verse 31. When he had gone out, who's he talking about? Judas, Judas is leaving. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, Jesus, God will also glorify him, Jesus, in himself. You see the Trinity right there in that himself. And glorify him at once. There's a point in time, it's coming quickly, we're going to see some glory at once. Little children. What a tender term. Yet a little while, while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, chapter 7, chapter 8, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. What does that mean, you cannot come? I got one word for you, stay. Right? It means stay. You can't come, so you got to stay. So, stay. But while you stay, verse 34 is key, a new commandment I give to you. Jesus so generous that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this love. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's all going well until my brother, 
the one I relate to, Simon Peter, said to him, Lord, where? Where? I'm not sure he heard verses 34 and 35 at all. I think he was kind of thinking about you can't come. If you have a personality like me, when somebody says you can't do something, you're like, I'm going to do it. Anybody? Don't leave me up here. You can't do that. I'm going to figure out how to do it just so I can prove you wrong. So Peter, with that personality, I'm going to get this done, Lord, says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me. Thankful for the now. (laughs) You can't follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. He's going to follow him afterward to death, just so we're clear. That's where Jesus is going, and that's where you're going to follow him. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. But the good thing is, for those that are in Christ Jesus, that judgment is, rise to your feet, well done, good and faithful servant. Praise the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day. Peter said to him, can't drop it, Lord, why? Why, 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 why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I'm willing to even die for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? I think that's a good question. Will you lay down your life for me? For your master, for your Lord, for Jesus? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. It doesn't depend on our best effort. That's clear in Scripture. This message has two points. I'm going to give them both to you right now. The first one, love. We're talking about the power of love, so love is powerful. Love in my power and for my glory will lose. You want to wield that thing called love in your life? You wield it with your power and for your glory? That's a losing battle. It's like putting that power player in the dirt and burying it. Not going to work. Number two, love in God's power and for his glory will last. It stands the test of time and of all trials. And we have various trials. I've read... (laughs) James and Peter this week again. We have various trials. We have trials. Don't be surprised, it says in 1 Peter 4, when trials come upon you. It's like, what happened? It's like, I told you, in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So love in God's power and for his glory will last. This is agape love. So let's dig into the passage and break it down so you can see these two points. That love in my power and for my glory, that's a losing battle. It's going to lose. But love in God's power, Holy Spirit power, and for God's glory, eternal glory, will last forever. Amen. Look at verse 30. I know I didn't read that earlier, but I think it's worth noting the last four words of that verse. 
What does it say, church? And it was night. Why is that important, church? You're like, I don't know. I know, that's why you pay me. I get to tell you. It's so cool. So there's this theme of darkness and light in John. He keeps talking about darkness and light and darkness and light. And in this case, he's like, and it was night. It was dark. It was full of gross sin. John was the only one that knew Judas was betraying. And he's like, and the sun went down. It seems like love has lost. And darkness has won the day. Betrayal. That's what Brent preached. I listened to it this week. Five amazing points. The truth about betrayal. I never want to betray any of you. Based on that message, I just so do not want to betray brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, what a great word. And it's night. Sun's going down. But our passage has some hope. It has love. Look at the next word. When he, Judas, and Satan indwelling him, we know that was said, had gone out, Jesus said, sin and Satan removed, Jesus on display goes, now! Right now! Is the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite phrase, nickname about himself, now is the Son of Man glorified. That's past tense. He's already had glory. He is full of glory. He is glory himself. And he has glorified, we'll see it in a second from chapter 17, he has glorified God. And God is glorified in Jesus because he perfectly obeyed God and came to earth for you and me. If God is glorified in him, and he is, God will also glorify him in himself and Glorify him at once. When is that once? Don't you have to kind of ask that? When is that once? I'm going to get to that in a second as well. Here's the point. Glory is the evidence of God. A book I read said this. Glory is a manifestation of God's reality. I want you to think of it this way. As heat is to fire, glory is to God. As wet is to water, glory is to God. As light is to bulb, glory is to God. Glory is what emanates from God. You will never see God, the Father. You will see His glory. At least three times in Scripture it says, no one has seen God. But Moses saw His glory. The disciples saw the transformation Figuration, that's glory. They walked and talked with Jesus. Glory is the max we can handle of seeing the Lord. It's his fingerprint of God left on everything he touches in the universe 
and in this church. When you see something that has God's fingerprint, like when we just worshiped, you're like, that's glory. God's doing something. I was having lunch with somebody this week, and we were talking, and the person came over, and she said, uh, her name's Wendy, could you pray for her, please? She said, man, I couldn't help but over here, like, you guys are, you know, talking about some trials, and uh, I'm like, yeah, and she's like, I'm going through a lot right now, too. So I gave her a card, and I, I invited her to church today, and uh, Steve Bueller was with me, and Steve um, gave her his card, and said, well, we'd love to pick you up. You know, when she left, we prayed with her. It was a bit of a God moment. And when she left, Steve and I looked at each other, and we were like, that's the fingerprint of God, right? That's glory. That's what it is. When God gives you a divine opportunity, and in his strength, you love someone you didn't ever meet before, and may never see again. That's glory. That's the evidence. Anytime you see evidence for God, you're seeing his glory. Like this. Let me put these pictures on the screen. That's God's glory. That's the universe. That's what he created. That's just one picture. Can you imagine if I showed you again and again and again? This is a mountain. Majesty. That's what glory really means it's like this is a majestic thing when you see that don't you go there's a god he's full of glory and then there's the ocean the sunset can't wait to get there I'm going in a week to a pastor's thing and i can't wait to see that it's what keeps you going in minnesota well this is a little bit of a heat wave man are we gonna get spring right now i don't think so yeah, I'm just wishing. You know the prize of God's creation? The thing that's filled with glory? It's people. It's you. It's me. Look at those people. Every one of them a gift. Every one of them made in God's image. That one guy can jump higher than LeBron. Even with disabilities glory made in God's image the prize of God's creation turn over in your Bible to just one page to the right to chapter 17 where Jesus prays he's going to do this in like what 30 minutes an hour from what he's saying right now just a few steps away and a few words away and he says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, chapter 17, verse 1, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. I think he's going to pray. And he said, Father, the hour, that's the cross, has come. Oh yeah, we talked about it once. Maybe we're giving it away now. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ. Whom you have sent. You know what the glory is right now? 
glory is that you're listening to a message where you're hearing that Jesus Christ came to die for you. That's glory. It's the most glorious thing ever. It's so glorious. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I want you to underline that in your Bible. Take out your pen, underline that, because that's how we should act. If you want to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ, this is how we bring God glory. And our mission is we glorify God by helping people believe in, belong to, and become like Christ. How do we do that? By accomplishing the work that the Father has given to me. Because God gave work to Jesus, but he's also given work to you. And we're on topic tonight about today about what he's given you to do. It's called love. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In case you wanted to know, Jesus was with God before he came in human form. Back to chapter 13. The past tense glorified is true because Jesus had glorified and God was glorified in Jesus because Jesus had obeyed everything he told them to do. He's the only person in all of history who perfectly followed the will of the Father and the leading of the Holy Spirit and yet that's what we're all trying to do every day. We're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. We're trying to do the Father's will. That's what we're trying to do. Even through hard trials, Jesus, remember 40 days in the wilderness and Satan came and tempted him three times? Even in hard trials, Jesus obeyed the Father and followed the plan perfectly. You might say, what's the plan? You might say, thank you, you picked it up. Great, awesome, perfect. I'm, I'm still here. Okay, what's the plan? The plan is to love the world. Let me give you four verses to kind of outline this for you, okay? Here it is on the screen, four verses. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This next one might be familiar to you, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. That's the plan. Send Jesus with grace and truth to love the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 says it this way. But God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. Are you still a sinner? Good, me too. <laughs> we could stop any time now, right? In Jesus' name, please, Lord. Christ died for us. And then chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that at once there was going to be glory, he came and departed out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. All of this, verse 31, to get to the point it's going to happen at once. He's going to love them to the end. What's the end, people? 
I skipped a slide, Dom. Did you notice? It's the cross. The end is the cross. This is where God's glory and love all at once come rushing together. The cross is the evidence of God's glory, the greatest display of God's glory. The cross is the greatest sign of God's perfect and powerful love for his people. The cross is where God said, glory! On display for everyone to see. It'll be talked about till eternity. That my son came to die. To set you free. Remember our two points. Love in my power. And for my glory will lose. But love. And the power of the cross. And love. For the glory of God. Will last. This is a symbol that's not going out of style anytime quickly. It won't be forgotten. Look at the next verse, verse 32. What are the first two words? Let me look. Oh, verse 33. Thank you for being honest in church. First two words, verse 33. Little children. We don't get this. He's not like patting him on the head. Hey, little guy. It's okay. No, no, no. This is from a rabbi to his students. This is a very tender greeting. And, and what he's saying is, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for you and I want to comfort you because I care for you. That's what he's saying. That's, what, that's a lot more than little children, isn't it? You're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. I didn't catch that. Little children? Yeah, no. Hey, church, I can say this is your pastor. I'm concerned for you. And every week when we come together, I want to comfort you and encourage you with the truth of God's word because I care for you. That's what he's saying. That's what I'm saying. Little children, yet a little while and I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now so I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. I'm sure that must have broke their spirit, broke their heart. We can't walk with you anymore? It's been three years, Jesus. We can't can't follow you to where you're going? We don't understand. We'll go anywhere you go. We didn't have a bed for three years. Why? We wouldn't. Nothing's too hard. Flip back in your Bible to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse 33 and 34. I just want you to see what he said before. John chapter 7 verse 33 and 34. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer. And then I am going to him, God, who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. 
Where I am, you can not come. And then look at chapter 8, just one more page to the right. Chapter 8, verse 21. So he said to them again, and he's talking to the Jews now, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews thought he was going to kill himself, commit suicide, you know, the impartable sin. Um, Here's the thing. He's not saying to the, the disciples that, they're going to hell and he, they're not going to be able to go to heaven with him. That's not what he's saying. Praise the Lord. <laughs> what he's saying is, hey, you can't come with me right now. What I'm doing is for you. I'm going to the cross. They can't pick it up. They're, they don't quite understand that he's going to die for them. And so they think, well, in our own strength, haven't we followed you, Lord? In my own power and for my own glory, I'll do whatever you need me to do tomorrow, God. He says, you can't come, you need to stay. And there's a reason you need to stay, there's a mission I have for you, it's a new covenant and a new commandment, and I give it to you. Do you like gifts? I love gifts. It's my birthday soon. That's not a hint. Just saying. Somebody gave us a gift card to Applebee's the other day, and uh, we enjoyed it the other night. I was telling them thank you today. And, you know, gifts are fun, aren't they? Somebody gives you a gift, and, you know, Christmas is fun that way. Birthdays are fun that way. Just different things like that. But gifts don't have to cost money. Right? Maybe the greatest gift you could give to someone is love. And so he says, hey, I'm not going to be here to love you anymore, guys, and I want to give you a gift. Since I'm not going to be here to love you, um, uh, here's the thing. I need you to love one another. I need you to love one another this way, just as I have loved you. So also you should love one another. By this, actually, by this love that you have for love one another, uh, all people will know evidence again. It'll be evidence that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if you love like Jesus loves, he's not going to be there, right? And he's not here right now, uh, physically speaking. So our love for one another is what kind of shows that he is actually here through us, working through us. How is it that Jesus loved? Could I give you some examples of Jesus' love? Would that help you in your walk with Christ and others this week? Could I take a couple minutes and just give you a couple examples? How about just from John, right? We could go all over the Bible, but how about just from John? Here's the first example I'll give you from John 4. The woman at the well. How did Jesus love the woman at the well? I wanted to say he didn't judge her, but he kind of did judge her, but he judged her correctly, right? He judged her not by appearances, but he judged her with right judgment. We studied that a while back. And here's the key to that right judgment, without partiality. He wasn't partial because she was a Samaritan woman. 
He didn't see any kind of race or status. He didn't see gender. It was impartial. I think that's a key for us as believers. Can we practice judging one another correctly without partiality? That's how Jesus loved. That's good. That's real good. Number two, how about the sick and the lame and the blind? There's several different references to that in John. What did Jesus do? He healed them. You're like, how am I going to do that, Steve? That's a hard one. Well, I've read James chapter 5 lately, and it says that we should pray for those that are suffering, and that we should, even as elders, uh, pray for and put oil on those who are sick, that the prayer of faith, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, it says. And so, church, if we want to love one another, we need to pray for one another. We're going to have people after the service down front who will pray for you. If you're suffering in any way, if you have a trial that you're facing, if you're just having a bad day, honestly, let them pray for you. Let them love you in that way. And if you're sick, we could anoint you with oil and ask for healing in Jesus' name. And if he chooses to heal you, we'll all see the fingerprint of God's glory. Praise the Lord. This, number three. With the crowds, those who needed to be fed, what did he do? He fed the crowds, not only just physically, but he fed them spiritually. So as you go out there today, and if your brother lacks food or clothes, and he asks, what would we do? We would love him, sacrificially, unconditionally, supernaturally. Might have to give the shirt off your own back to say, hey, I love you and I want to feed you. I want to care for your needs, not just physically, but I want to give you something. I want to give you life eternal. I want to give you something spiritual too. It's not what you're looking for, I know, but let me love you that way. This fourth thing, the woman caught in adultery, he forgave her. So what should we do? Forgive, right? Forgive as we've forgiven. How did God forgive you? Freely. As soon as you asked for it, he just gave it to you. Pretty awesome God. Yeah, but that awesome God lives inside of you, and so you're awesome people when he's inside of you. And you can, in an awesome way, choose to forgive others when they ask. This fifth thing. And the washing of the disciples' feet. Just studied that last time we were together. Well, last time I was preaching, I should say. Jesus selflessly served others, and so should we. We should selflessly serve one another, washing each other's feet, right? In Jesus' name. And in the end... Jesus not only did all of these things, but he laid down his very life for us on the cross. You see this brotherly love. You see this agape love in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment. It's a new commandment, right? 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Let me just clarify, he says over a couple chapters later in the same talk. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Awesome. Look at verse 35. What does it say? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let me just get after this. The question is, is this really a new commandment? Is loving one another really a new commandment? I mean, new in time? No. New in experience? Fresh? Yes. Why? Because Jesus was going to die. And that was going to be glory. He was going to raise from the dead. And he was going to provide for you something that no one before this time, when he said this, had opportunity of. The ability to have the Holy Spirit inside them in such a way that Christ is dwelling in them and they can love the way he loved. That's astounding. You have something now that they did not have. The indwelling Holy Spirit that will give you the power and for his glory... A love that lasts. In Deuteronomy 6.5, we saw a command to love God. In Leviticus 19.18, we saw a love for our neighbors, commanded by God. This ain't new. In Matthew 5.43-48, he said, not only love your neighbor, but love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So when he comes to this, now love one another as I have loved you. Can I say this, church? It's not a try harder love. Kristen, you can't try harder to love me. It's not going to work. You know? Abe, you can't try harder to love me. It's not going to work. I'm not that lovely. This isn't a try harder love. Well, I'll just try harder then, Steve. Thanks for the good message about trying harder at love this week. It's not what we're talking about. This is not a try harder love. I underline this statement that I wrote down in study this week. The cross of Jesus Christ and this story that we're talking about right here is a great story. Wasn't a great story? Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Jesus says, I'm going to cross. Jesus saying, love one another as I've loved you. Isn't it a great story? Yeah, it's a great story. But you know what, church? I'm convicted of this. I forget the power of the cross. Literally. I forget how much power is in the cross. How much power and glory is in what Jesus did in the resurrection. In the death and resurrection. I forget it. Do you forget it? Do you forget the power sometimes? Anybody? Or are you like, nah, dude, the power, I just know there's power. Sometimes we forget that these aren't just stories on a black and white page. This actually happened, and it supplies you with a supernatural power that allows you to love, not in the flesh, not a try harder love, but to love unconditionally, sacrificially, 
supernaturally because the Holy Spirit, if you're his and you're submitted to the Father's will today, is living in you. Man, good stuff. i got to preach this last point just a little bit quick here. Um, Simon Peter came and said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. Thanks for the clarifier. I was getting nervous. It's not a now situation. Okay, but you will follow me afterwards. Uh, Peter, you're going to die. Peter said to him, Lord, why? Why can't I follow you right now? I I will lay down even my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truth is, I say to you, the rooster won't crow until you've denied me three times. As as in, like, it's not even going to turn morning, bro, before you're, like, fully disowned me. That's what deny means, right? You know that, right? Disown. You ever disowned somebody? Like, I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. Everybody disowned anybody? I don't don't, want to be any part of this. No, I disown you. You're, You're done. I'm done with you. That's what, that's what Peter did with Jesus. Now, we've all done that with Jesus, actually. I can't be too hard on Peter. This is another rendition of what was just said in Luke chapter 22, 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, you as plural, so all the disciples, that he may sift you, all of you, like wheat, But I have prayed for you, that's singular, I've prayed for you, Peter, that your singular faith may not fail. And when you, Peter, have turned again, strengthen your singular brothers. That's from another place. The same story. Can I ask you a question? Is Peter dealing with pride? Or is Peter dealing with passion? Is it pride or passion? Who wants to vote pride? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Pride? Anyone? Okay. Who wants to vote passion? He's just passionate. Right. Pride or passion? I don't know. I'm not sure. Sometimes I don't know if it's pride or passion in my own life that makes me say the things I do. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. But at the end of the day, even though he's going to deny Jesus Christ, he's going to do that in his flesh. You know that, right? That's not in the Spirit. He's not denying Jesus in the Spirit. Even though he's going to deny Jesus, Jesus has a plan to use Peter to lead his disciples, all of them, back to strengthen them for a mission that we've all been given to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations. Let me wrap up this way. First, you must fail before you fully follow Jesus. Could you write that down? First, you must fail before you can fully follow Jesus. I hope you believe that. We've all failed Jesus in many ways. First, you must fail before you follow Jesus. So if you're a failure, 
and you relate to that, praise the Lord. Me too. I've failed Christ in many ways at many times. But we're going to come to communion now. I'm going to ask the ushers to get up and and to uh, help us. We're going to come to communion now as a failure, right? We come as a failure. First, we must fail in following Jesus before we can fully follow Jesus and accomplish the love that he has for us. So let me give you the two points since overconfidence is a killer. Sometimes I think we're overconfident in our ability to love one another. I know I am. I think, man, I just say you are loved at the end of a service and everybody knows I love them. I mean it every word of it. You are loved. But it's more than words. It's tangible, right? It's doing the things I said that Jesus modeled for us. First, you must fail before you fully follow Jesus. Let me say this. There is no such thing as over-dependence on God and the power of his love. So let me give you the two points again for our message. Love in my power and for my glory will lose. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you do it in your own strength. But I'm asking you to lay that down at the altar. But love in God's power and for his glory will last. It will forever. It has holding power, it has staying power. I invite you to that love today.